eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's up, everybody? OGS is O-U-T. Manchester United have finally ripped the Band-Aid and parted ways with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Chelsea, Man City and Liverpool pull further away from the pack. Xavi off to a winning start in Barcelona and Serie A has more twists and turns than a runaway garden hose. That one was just for you, Ray Hudson. Heath Pierce and I will be analyzing a thrilling weekend of European club football. Que golazo! Weekend recap begins right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kigo Lasso, our weekend recap. Heath Pierce in the house with yours truly. If you're watching live on YouTube, I can't emphasize this enough. Smash that like button. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Bring in your questions and your comments. HP and I would love to hear from you. Get in the comment section, share your thoughts, ask a question, and get things off your chest. If you're a Manchester United fan, specifically, I want to hear from you as well. And our producer, Des Norris, will throw the best comments on screen. Some of you are listening to this pod form uh, later on. That's very nice. Thank you. Please make sure that you leave a rating and review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Please take that minute. It really helps us to grow the show. And that's all the call to action. But keep those comments going throughout the show today. Heath Pierce, how are you, my friend? You are not at home. Uh, Where are you? I'm actually in Monterey, California. I was putting on a, a soccer clinic on Saturday and then Sunday with uh, the Chevron Soccer Academy and Alianza de Football. Uh, so we had a clinic yesterday and then today was was a, was a tryout and then a showcase at the end. So a bunch of kids narrowed down both, both boys and girls to a small group that would then have an opportunity uh, to, be, to go on a tryout with um, Sacramento Republic, San Jose Earthquakes. We also had an FMF scout here that wanted to potentially bring players into uh, a tryout for the youth national team. So a really rewarding experience for the kids in Salinas and the wider sort of Monterey Bay area in California. So a lot of fun. By the way, the last time that I was doing this type of thing was I was with you this summer in Denver. We were doing uh, our pods from the room when we were at the Nations League final. So, you know, uh, it's been a while since it. it's weird when you have a new backdrop. It just feels a little foreign to me, but it's good to know that you were the last person to experience this with me. So. Absolutely, brother. I do love the fact that that last time was I was also in a hotel room. You were in a hotel room and we weren't actually that far away physically, but digitally we had to show that we were. The magic of technological advances in 2021. By the way, great work that Fox Soccer Ventures and Alianza de Football are doing right now, promoting and not just that, but engaging with the Hispanic community. That's how you strengthen the U.S. program by really diversifying all the talent that is around this great big country. So well done there, HP. All right, Heath Pierce, let's move on to European club competition. What a weekend once again. When is it when we say that? But really, this one, as we continue with the narratives of manager transition, of course, we've seen plenty in the Premier League, and there is one more, and it's a big one. Oligana Solskjaer is out. He is out at Manchester United after suffering a really embarrassing uh, loss against Watford and Claudio Ranieri. You gotta, by the way, throughout this whole conversation, not many, you gotta tip your hat off to Claudio Ranieri and Watford for doing that, by the way, and making sure that they get the win in such an emphatic way. But regardless, OGS is out. Before we get into potential candidates, and by the way, on Monday morning, we'll have our usual dose of Fabrizio Romano who'll break it down for us. Let's talk about Olegana Social right now. Heath, first of all, are you surprised? Should it have happened way before the international break? Or what are you thinking about this exit? 
Yeah, this is one where the sort of writing's on the wall. And I actually give credit to Manchester United on this one because a lot of times these coaches will, you see it where they get this vote of confidence and then the coaches will wait until something major like a transfer window or something like that to get rid of a coach and make a change. And obviously we know the transfer window is coming soon. But the fact that they went through all of this, they had these rough patches, then there was the talk of the two games or the three games where it was tough to really judge to see the right one. I think people were still leaning towards, hey, you're only as good as your last game. For them to go out of this one, and obviously Watford especially, no disrespect to Watford or Rainier, it's an unbelievable, unbelievable performance in this one. But that's when you have to be able to say, okay, if you can't get up for this game, if you can't get a win with the team you put on the field against the Watford, who have been pretty poor to start the season, uh, then, then it's time to go. You have to know that. And again, I don't think one incident is ever how it isolates the change of a manager. I think they had the plan and they were like, well, if this gets too bad or if we get embarrassed, uh, hopefully in the background they've been doing the work to, to see who the next manager is going to be. Obviously, there's some big names popping up. But yeah, I, I actually give credit for Manchester United on this one of understanding when to rip the Band-Aid off because there's never a perfect time because you come out of this one, maybe they bounce back and get a great win in the Champions League. They don't have the easiest run of games coming up. But yeah, certainly... Uh, respect to Manchester United to, to understand because it's hard to fire a legend. We see that in Italy all the time. Legend goes to the club, they get fired like five games later, no one cares. But in the Premier League, it's a little bit harder uh, to do that. I mean, maybe maybe Chelsea set the standard with Lampard, but it certainly seemed like after a loss like that, it was time to, to make a change. I mean, want to get your take on that and sort of what you've been reading, what you're seeing. Kind of what did you think this was the right time? What should it could it have been a month earlier, two months? I mean, in retrospect, I think it could, but you go back two months earlier. Is it going to solve that? Would it would things be different now? Maybe, maybe not. But there's certainly a number of players that I think are going to benefit from some just fresh life within the club uh, as soon as they hire. Well, going from an interim or to a full time manager. Yeah, um, let me just say uh, some good points there and a good question to end it there. HP, I, I gotta say that it, this is always going to be a tricky situation. The moment that he entered into this day, well, number one, because he is a legend as a player and everything that he gave to this club. You mentioned Lampard and Chelsea. Of course, there's a similar narratives here as well. I will say this, you know, first of all, I think that this should have happened a long time ago. I, I was going back into some video clips, some analysis that we, uh, we were doing on CBS Sports. And I remember one clip I went on CBS Sports HQ after they lost to Istanbul Beşiktaş, And I basically said the same thing. I'm not the only one. Many people have said, we have seen the writing on the wall for, for a long time. I think that this just should have happened before the international break. They already lost 5 nothing to Liverpool. That already in itself. I don't care how good Liverpool are. It was the manner in which they lost. And it wasn't just that loss. It's just on countless times we have seen how OGS has really yeah, but you disappointed. Know who also lost five nil to Liverpool? You know, you know who also lost five nil to Liverpool? Watford did. Yeah, and then Watford went and battered Manchester United. It's a really weird world that we're living in. The way, sorry, it is. You. I just wanted to point that out. No, 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 no. It's a good point, but I gotta say something here. I mean, there's a difference when you have Harry Maguire, Paul Pogba, Mason Greenwood, Cristiano Ronaldo, Jadon Sancho, and then you have Watford, a team that's just newly been promoted to the Premier League. It's it's, it's not the same. Comparison. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a good man. He's a good person. You see it from his interview that he did and his exit. I am not denying any of that. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is part of the rot of Manchester United. He is not the rot itself. There's a major issue in there. It's directionless. It has no vision. And there is no direct Real lead. you saw it in the protests in the Super League from the you know against Joe Glazer, etc. There's already a rot in itself. Cristiano Ronaldo coming in was a band-aid over a gunshot wound. This is a Manchester United that is well, I don't in even complete think that was a, I don't even know if that was a band-aid. I think if anything, that was that was the probably the straw that broke the camel's back because while they had a number of signings, when I look at a Van de Beek, when I look at a Jaden Sancho, when I look at a number of these players coming in, by the way, that comment had just mentioned that Van de Beek. Last one to score before. Uh, oh, before the irony of it all, right? Gunner. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, you look at all those pieces and you get hopeful that there's something that you can build in a team there. But then when I look at it, I'm like, okay, we have sent. As soon as Ronaldo came, I thought that was the biggest thing. And maybe I, I, I personally, if I'm Ole Gunner, I don't see Ole Gunner one, being one that was like, yes, I need Ronaldo, knowing the magnitude of which bringing a player in like that was. I understand Manchester United's reason of not letting him to go to 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 Manchester City I understand this is a legend bringing that legend home but at the same time you've thrown off the whole dynamic that actually had some bubbling potential last year coming into this year and the way that Bruno Fernandes you know we talked about Mason Greenwood 
needing to have a huge year this year. We saw a few glimpses before Ronaldo arrived. And then that balance was all thrown off. Jaden Sancho not having a spot in the team. Jesse Lingard not having a spot in the team. Marcus Rashford not being able to have a spot in the team. Anthony Martial. I mean, you look at this and I compare them to look how many options that Chelsea has, but they found a way to rotate. And it doesn't feel when Chelsea rotates that it's a bad thing. It's a good thing. And yes, they don't have Lukaku now, so they're rotating more than usual. But Manchester United never seemed like they were rotating, right? It was like early days of almost Frank Lampard-esque of like tinkering. Uh, and I know Tuchel's known for tinkering as well, but getting the most out of those players where I felt we'd get a sample size of Jaden Sancho for a half and go, okay, he's not good. Uh, you get a, a Van de Beek in, in a poor run of form and you go, okay, he's not good. He can't play in my team. And then same thing, you go with those injuries and it just seemed like there was never really a plan that once Ronaldo actually came, it just seemed almost like the the perfect excuse for it to fail. And it seems like, you know, there was they were moving in the right direction. That was a tough position to be in. I blame Manchester United for bringing in Ronaldo. He's obviously phenomenal, one of the greatest players ever. It's not a disrespect to him. But the dynamic of the team, team, the development of the team, the plan, where you were going, seemed a lot clearer then than it is now. And he's a one-stop shop, right? He could be a year in and a year out. Uh, and I just don't see, you know, while he's there, that this team's able to sort of go to the next generation that seemed like they were going to. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to point that out in terms of not being – a band-aid. I thought, if anything, maybe they thought it would be a band-aid to sol solve a short-term issue, but they had to think bigger than that. Somebody of this magnitude was going to come in and certainly kind of disrupt the the equilibrium of the team. Uh, not a, not by his own a fault of his own, but this is one of the greatest players ever. So, what do you think is going to come in when you when when you bring him into the club? Yeah, which is my point, right? There is so many more rotting factors in Manchester United that I just a few things, by the way. Ole Gunnar tenure was not completely. In Desiree, he did set an English record of 29 matches unbeaten. Uh, he, you know, uh, led to successive top four finishes consecutively as well, but also wasn't able to secure a first trophy uh, since 2017. And to be honest, as we have said in this show over and over again, there was just no identity. It's just been very, very tough. By the way, as I mentioned, Fabrizio uh, Romano will join the show uh, this week on Monday is our usual dose, and we will talk about the potential candidates, which include Zinedine Zidane, Eric Ten Hag, Brandon Rogers, even Luis Enrique is in that fold. But, you know, there's a difference between what will happen at the summer and trying to find directly an interim manager to replace the interim manager that is Michael Carrick right now. Final thoughts uh, here, Heath Pierce, before, before we move on. Yeah, just on the coaching search, I just think about the type of coach or manager you need. And I just don't see, and again, I'm being biased to this, but you have a natural born winner in, in Zidane Zidane, somebody who's done it at a huge club under immense amounts of pressure, knows how to get the most out of his players, tends to get the most out of his players, but also makes it very clear when players are not in his form, right? Gareth Bale being an example of somebody who he tried to move on. He didn't want to move because you know, loving his quality of life and the good golf you can get in, in Spain, but made it very clear that it just seems like players knew their role and knew what they meant to Zidane Zidane. When I think about somebody who doesn't have ties to the club, there's no bias there, but it could also kind of be an ego in the room uh, that that could be respected and a plan that's bought into. I just I just don't see how you don't try to break the bank for somebody like that. He's never managed in England, though, uh, Heath Pierce. Is that a problem? Never managed in England? He's learning English right now that we know that much. Emmanuel Petit did say that he's learning English because he's obviously singing, but never managed in the Premier League. Does that matter to you at all? I think it matters, but, you know, Pep Guardiola didn't struggle to, to come in, too, when he got carte blanche. I think mm -hmm. he has that type of managerial skill, and if anything, England has the most egos of anywhere. You talk about Barcelona is a little bit different because it's supposed to be an ego-free environment, but the Galacticos, I mean, these are the biggest players in the world, and they're known for that. So for me, I just think that uh, the league is going to be harder, the scheduling is going to be harder, the competition is going to be harder, the style of play it's going to be harder. You know, getting points against a Watford or a Norwich are going to be very different than the way in which teams try to get points at the bottom of La Liga. But I do think that he has the ability to sort of bring that fighting spirit mentality and get the most out of the players. I think that first and foremost, when you're a person manager, when you're an ego manager like he is, I think that there's you're very limited to to which the the, the leagues in which I think you could be successful. That's my take so, on that. So we will see what happens. Obviously, this is a plan for the summer as well. Uh, by the way, a call to action to everybody that's just joined us. We're talking... We can recap just ending the Oligana social exit discussion. If you have a comment, please make sure that you throw it right in. And a question, Heath Beers and yours truly would love to bring it up. And even if we don't mention it, uh, our producer, Des Norris, will put it up on the screen. And like uh, and subscribe and post a comment. Thank you so much. So that's it. OGS is out. Manchester United 
moves on and we will see how that goes. But let's discuss now uh, the top three club, by the way, who are pulling away in the Premier League. And I really believe now, and I'm sure you do too, Heath, because I cut above the rest here as Chelsea win, Liverpool win, Man City win. Those three teams at this moment are clearly a cut above the rest. My first, my first question to you, Heath, here is um, who feels more confident at this point? By the end of this weekend, you got a really good win against Arsenal from a Liverpool side. Uh, Chelsea took care of business early on Saturday against Leicester City. And uh, Manchester City as well took care of business against, albeit a poor uh, so far, Everton. Who feels more confident right now? Oh, man. I feel like that's a loaded question in terms of confidence. <laughs> These teams are all firing for their own reasons, right? Chelsea are just so good and so efficient. It's like they know exactly who they are as an identity. Man City do as well. I think Man City are probably the least confident, I would say. Uh, still very confident. But when I look at Liverpool, just the way in which Liverpool, if you give Liverpool a half chance, or call it a, we'll call it a clear chance, right? Not making something out of nothing. But if you give them a half chance, they will punish you every single time. The lead up, the transition, the first pass, the second. If it takes them seven passes to score, every one of those seven passes is incredible. And it's perfect. And it's world class. And then the final ball and the finish, it's just guiding like everything is a step faster than the other team. And I think that's a really hard thing to bet against right now. When I think of Chelsea, though, I just think about the fact that it's not that same type of rhythm, but it's very good. And it's full of it's just full of identity. And that identity, I think, has a lot more of a foundation to rely upon. Where if you lose some of those players we saw with Liverpool, if 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 uh, Chelsea go through the number of players that they're going through right now, no Lukaku, I think they're going to be fine. They're going to be good. However, uh, if they don't, uh, you know, I think Chelsea Chelsea will be fine. Liverpool, on the other hand, if we were to lose a bunch of these players, I think that uh, that is a situation where you know Liverpool fall apart. We saw a number of in- and, and I don't think anybody should go through the amount of injuries that Liverpool had uh, last season. I don't expect them to, but a Liverpool side. Uh, going through some injuries could throw them out of this rhythm that makes them so good. I think there's a rhythm to to Liverpool. There's a world-class capability to Liverpool. When you compare that to Chelsea, Chelsea is a machine. Chelsea is an engine. It's built well. It's built to sustain. It's built to withstand uh, differences in the lineup. It's built to withstand uh, um, sort of scheduling, the seasonality of things. So all of that, I just feel, is, is a little bit more prime. And then Man City probably fall third in terms of the the confidence or the consistency that of which that I think the team can don't just have now, but can rely upon for the whole season. Absolutely. By the way, if my image is a little bit uh, low res, uh, I apologize. Uh, you know, we're just trying to work on it. But if you're listening in podcast, hey, you get the advantage. You don't even have to watch this, but we'll continue right here. Uh, one of the interesting things about these three teams, by the way, Heath Beers, I noticed as well as that Liverpool missed key players against Arsenal. Chelsea didn't have Romelu Lukaku. Manchester City didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, etc. And still they continue to dominate. So it's going to be for me. The crucial moments, the holiday period, early in January, that to me is going to be the key. Here's a, another question for you, Heath. Who, who could crack into this fourth side? I mean, obviously, we talked about West Ham, but they lost against Wolves. Arsenal, of course, lost as well. But Antonio Conte Tottenham did win against Leeds. Who could crack in that fourth spot? Man, it is really hard to say. I wouldn't write off uh, West Ham at this point, being able to hold that top four spot. Uh, in terms of the top three, I, I don't see anybody catching these top three. Arsenal were on a great run of form, but we're obviously humbled, uh, extremely humbled uh, over the weekend of just sort of realizing that they have a long way to go in terms of consistency. I know it's going to always be a tough game to win uh, in Liverpool for, for Arsenal, a difficult one, but that's a great question. I mean, I would have said, at one point, Man United, if they could run the round the corner, if they could find a system now, you know, if you look at uh, Carrick in the situation, can he find the eleven that's going to lead him? Can you give some life and confidence to uh, Jaden Sancho, who was one of the best players in the world last season? Can you find uh, more out of Van de Beek? Can you find more out of Mason Greenwood? Can you get that spark for those players to play together? I don't think I don't think there's an identity at Manchester United, but I certainly think that a change of pace or a change of belief and empowering some of these players could lead to a positive reaction, but. When I'm looking at the table right now, you know, Arsenal Wolves have been great, but I don't really see them having the consistency to break into a top four. Um, Arsenal, I think, are going to continue to kind of rise and level, rise and level, rise and level. So I think they, they, they're they going to finish in a European spot at the form that they're in. Tottenham also get a great result over this weekend. So it's really tough to say. I mean, 
this is this is the difference of this year is when I would have looked at seasons past, I would have been like, yeah, but you've got to deal with Leicester City in this one. You've got to deal with Spurs in this one. You've got to deal with Man United, who would have been up there already. It's just a different layout so far in the season. When I think about it, just like the top three, and I, I it's it's more cliche than ever before, is literally depth of squad. If you can rely mm. upon your depth of squad, I think you've got a chance in the top four. And that's where I think a West Ham may fall short. That's where I think a, an Arsenal... Man United, maybe. I, I, it sounds a little cliche to put just the bigger ones, but when you go through this time period through the winter, when you've got a number of games coming out into the spring after the new year, you're going to have to be able to rotate that squad pretty heavily. We're heading to the end of the group stages for the European competitions. When I look at rotation, I'm looking at an Arsenal who aren't playing Europe right now, their ability to manage that as well uh, and really pull out their, their best team for the games that are necessarily and really have just a few moments. I think that sets them up well for success. But yeah, I mean, what's your take on, on, on a top four? Do you think anybody breaks or kicks West Ham out of there? I don't know. I don't know. But I do feel that Mikel Arteta's Arsenal will learn from that Liverpool loss. I feel that there are teams around it, specifically Arteta's Arsenal, that can capitalize on learning from that game. I think Liverpool, uh, as you mentioned, and Daniel, uh, thanks for commenting. So he said, Liverpool and Bayern Munich are the best teams in Europe right now. I, I, you know, I, 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 it would be very difficult for me to disagree. Obviously, Chelsea are very strong in City, but I think there's no shame in losing for nothing to Liverpool. It's, it's, it's my point. Like that's how good. What do you they mean are. Messi think, scored? Uh, Messi, they don't get to be the best in Europe now. Messi scored a goal. <laughs> PSG is right. not on your top of your list right now. Yeah, oh yeah, good old PSG. We'll get to them in a second. But I don't know. I think West Ham, unfortunately, as you mentioned, the problem is the deeper you go into the league, specifically once again, as I mentioned, the holiday period, you're going to learn as a club that you're going to have to rely not on your best eleven players, but on your sixteenth player. On your 17th, the people that can maybe make an impact, you know, when there's injuries or something's going on and you need a spark from the 60th minute, that is the key. So you have to look at squad. Arsenal do have that. If they can build a little bit more in January, they could hopefully get that spot. And of course, you can't discount Antonio Conte's Tottenham and see how much of that influence that will be. And a very good point from our producer, Des Norris, by the way, the Africa Cup of Nations that begins in January, that's going to really disrupt a few teams, including Liverpool, of course, Sadio Mane, uh, Mohamed Salah. That's going to be massive. That's going to be very big, Heath. You know, those players heading into the African combination. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. When I was talking about the Liverpool injury situation of the way that they went through last year, I mean, consider it the same thing, except you're talking about maybe a more reliable window of time. You're going to be missing Sadio Mane. Uh, who's been fantastic, obviously, and and then across the board, when you're thinking Mohamed Salah and a number of these plays, you're going to have to deal without them. Look, I think Diogo Jota is a fantastic player. I think he was phenomenal uh, just making Arsenal yeah, look stupid. Yeah, uh, yeah fan- fantastic goal. I, I, that's one of those goals, by the way, and if anybody didn't see it, go and, go and watch it, where you beat two players, cut back one, and you cut the goalkeeper. And I always thought about those types of goals during my career, uh, that I didn't score, but always wondered would I have the calm in those situations to yeah. know that like I can sell it hard enough because I was never good at a Cruyff turn or a cut or any of that sort of stuff where you can sell it and players bite like his ability to do that and keep control of it and just put it away and he smacks it with pace. I think it's just such a phenomenal type of goal and sure they're going to have to rely a- upon him uh, as they and Bobby Firmino obviously, but I just again those are two players that are carrying your team right now, right? They are playing f- out of their minds. They're playing at the best they've ever played in their career they're doing it consistently and to lose them you know that's where you could find yourself giving up points somewhere along the way um and so yeah i do worry about that and that's what probably probably that in itself leads me to thinking maybe chelsea are the ones that are probably have the ability to be a little bit more consistent uh in the machine that they built absolutely and obviously that's proven so forth uh with the premier league tables chelsea lead with 21 points man city 26 and liverpool 25. All right, let's move on because uh, we did part of our weekend preview was about these new managers coming in Mm -hmm. to these other teams. Aston Villa, Norwich, Newcastle United and Watford technically because Ranieri is still technically the new manager there, of course. And Antonio Conte with Tottenham. None of them lost. All of them bar one, one, one of them forced an exit from a manager. (laughs) But let's uh, just put it all together and give me your thoughts here. Aston Villa, Steven Gerrard's tenure. 
a really impressive win against Brighton. Brighton, there's no surprises why they are in the top half of the tight table. This was always going to be a difficult game. And Villa wins 2-0. Norwich and Dean Smith come back from behind to win that as well. And Watford, we mentioned, of course, with that emphatic 4-1 win against Manchester United. And Tottenham coming back from behind to beat Leeds United as well. Anything, what stuck out for you when you're thinking about all those teams? I mean, honestly, for me, the thing that stuck out the most is the Norwich, uh, the Norwich win to come from behind. They got punched in the face very early on. This is a team that I think was not built well for the Premier League and one that looked like, okay, what could Daniel Farka do? What could he do with this team, right? Obviously, he helped build it. We're talking about a sustainable club that lives off of a very different budget than the rest of the league. And you just go, well, you know, they're built for the championship, kind of an elevator team. But to see them now get punched in the face very early on and then press hard to win that ball back, to get the goal, to, t- to, to draw level, was just a response that you want. You know, when you talk about having a new manager and that sort of breath of fresh air, uh, it makes a big difference. And that was one that really stood out to me over the weekend, just thinking that it'd be really easy with the form that they've been in to just take that punch to the face and then just sort of like wilt uh, away over the rest of the game, knowing that you have so far to go to try to score a goal. Your team doesn't know how to score goals. Your team doesn't know how to defend, but to be able to get a win like that, I think is a huge, a huge testament to Dean Smith, obviously a guy that, you know, we talked about some of these managers having coached in 15 months uh, coming into a job. Well, this is one where he got what, four days off or something, two days maybe before he took on. Yeah. Yeah, it came from an international break and a little bit of vacation to take on uh, a new job and motivate his team. I think that's a really important uh, factor for me. And obviously, I think Aston Villa, you know, what's your take on the Aston Villa sort of just the energy around the team? I didn't get a chance to see the match, obviously watch the highlights, but what was your take on 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 the arrival there? Yeah, I mean, it was a very good win. I mean, listen, Brighton, again, as I mentioned, this is a very good side managed by Graham Potter. There's, It's not a shocking uh, why they're ninth right now in the table. And Steven Gerrard, you know, went into this saying, listen, uh, he said a message for the entire squad. We don't have to, obviously we want to win, but the most important thing is we will not give them any loss. We cannot concede. We have to fight for everything. And that's exactly what they did. Brighton loved to have the ball. It was over 60% possession. But then towards the end, Villa pushed and pushed and pushed. And Ollie Watkins got a great goal. I'm so happy for Tyrone Mings to get uh, his goal there as well. And, you know, three points on his first win and to, you know, stop the bleeding. That was five straight losses, you know, because that was psychologically affecting the club so much. So it was massive. By the way, I didn't mention Newcastle, who uh, are the only team right now in the Premier League without a win still. They did uh, show a lot of resiliency against Brentford, uh, but it was 3 all in the end on that one. And I'm just looking at the table here, Heath Pierce, and... The difference in that was, points. By the way, that was the that was the b- before you say that the the, the problem yeah. for me with with Newcastle was that they're playing at Brentford that I think has also lost four or five straight, and it was a real opportunity for them to be able to to win that again. You talk about response, new manager, bounce back, you know, kind of stabilizing. Mm. It feels like a chance wasted for me. Sorry. Um, no, no, no. Great, great point. The only thing I wanted to add was I'm glad Des Norris brings it up because look at that. The difference between relegation nine points. And 10th is seven points, seven points. And we're just in November right now. And my point is that things can turn around very quickly for a lot of clubs. So I wouldn't lose any faith. And at the same time, wouldn't completely feel too confident if I'm so high up. I mean, Everton, for example, you know, who are continue to go on a pretty bad form. So it's a very, very tight bottom of the table for the Premier League. So it's going to be intriguing how we continue this one. Before we take a break, any thoughts from the Premier League here, Heath Pierce, Antonio Conte wrapped it up and Tottenham as they beat Leeds United. Uh, we talked about Everton. Anything else that we missed out before we take a break? No, just a fantastic goal again um, from from our boy Raul uh, for Wolves. Just Yeah, Raul Jimenez, a fantastic game. Yeah. Obviously, we're, we're just glad. I'm just glad he didn't have that when he was uh, in the international break. Goes back to his club, just continues <laughs> to show the quality yeah. that he has. And Wolves being sort of sneaky good at the moment. Uh, I don't know what their That's sort of last run of form is. I know they've only lost, yeah, sixth place. Again, another team that I think is probably not getting the respect they deserve, sitting between Arsenal and Spurs in the table. But uh, just a shout out to them as they continue to, even though they haven't been uh, the, the pretty side that we expect them, obviously, getting. 
Jimenez back into the team. Uh, and, and they play a really fun and attractive style of play. And to do that and get results uh, is pretty cool. Yes, since uh, September 18th, they've only lost once. <laughs> so it's pretty impressive from Wolverhampton Wanderers, uh, of course, as they are, you know, looking pretty good in the top half of the table. We're going to take a break, everybody. If you're listening to this on audio, that means uh, a quick break. Then we come back. But on YouTube Live, we keep on rolling. Heath Pierce joining me here. Kego Lasso Weekend Recap. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. I told you we will be back straight away if you're watching on YouTube. And here we are, HP. Gego Lasso, we can recap and let's discuss the rest of Europe. And Heath, I want to go uh, to France, unfortunately, because once again, we have problems that have nothing to do with the game itself. Uh, Lyon and Marseille abandoned after Payet was struck with a water bottle. He you know, refused to come back in because he was injured, uh, obviously hit by a water bottle. By the way, that's three out of seven of Marseille's away games in Liga this season. I've seen at least one of their players struck by a projectile but an opposing fan. What was even more worrying about this one was that obviously Marseille players refused to leave the locker room despite the fact that the referee, Rudy Bouquet, ordering them to come back because he wanted to come back in the game. This is just a continuation of something that's really, really polluting the French game. I don't know the stats yet, but I'm sure our friend Jonathan Johnson can help out later on. But we have just seen... Too many of these situations in League A. And enough is enough. There is no communication between the official, the local authorities, and the league itself. There is a clear target on Marseille's back, but it's not just them. It happens everywhere. Where is the leadership? A good friend, Jonathan Johnson, obviously tweeted about the fact that there needs to be a restructuring. There needs to be some young blood that comes in into the executive decision-making here for Liga because this cannot go on. If you continue to allow this to happen, Liga, something terrible will happen. More than projectiles. Somebody will really get hurt, and I hate to say it, but somebody could die in a moment like this. It's too much. It's too dangerous. It's too volatile. And this is not yeah. what the game should be about. It's unbelievable. What's your pick on this? What's your take on this, uh, Heath Pierce? Because there's a real problem in French football. Yeah, you know, I, 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 a, a couple of years ago, I, I attended a, a Marseille-Lyon match. And Lyon won at home. Uh, I mean, Lyon won away from home. And there was an away ban of all the fans, right? So the whole stadium at the Velodrome was Marseille fans. And you hear the story of the history is deeply rooted in sort of Marseille, again, being this birthplace of immigration uh, into, into Europe. And then Lyon, which is considered a much more traditional and French, a kind of more uh, a national pride of their history type of town in terms of blue collar, in terms of social classes. And so there's all of this sort of um, tension between these clubs that are based on history. And then you have the young people and things that happen now. And we've, we, we like to glorify, you know, uh, these types of things, water bottles being thrown on when things get thrown on the field, we talk about the passion and how it's like hostility and this is environment. But then as soon as we've started to see this more, we saw it in the nation's league players getting actually hit with things, right? We know when you go down to Azteca or some of these other, um, nations, 
you know, you got, I've been hit by coins. I've been hit by lighters. It certainly kind of gets into your head, but none of it is like, like hit with, we're starting to see just like vitriol in these things. It used to be, you know, throw, throw, throw your beer cup on the field and they come clean up the beer, beer cups or, you know, the, like the, the ribbons that they would throw or whatever the threading they'd throw behind the goalkeeper and his feet would get stuck in it when he's kicking a goal kick and they sweep it all off. But now it's sort of, it's just continuing and, and, and it's, I, I don't know that there needs to be stronger ramifications that go into this, right. In terms of lifetime bans from stadiums for, for, for these, for these incidents and really make it clear and create accountability. Don't just ban away fans, but really actually trying to put the hammer down the whole weekend. Suspend the whole weekend of action. Even I'm sorry, a blanket punishment. Even if you're a completely different fixture, suspend the entire thing because this is a league uh, problem and league R needs to hold itself accountable. And obviously, you know, it's not every single club, but the only way, the only way to try and stop a poisonous snake is to cut off the head. You have to stop, you suspend the entire thing because I'm telling you, this is going to keep happening and something worse than just being hit by a water bottle will happen. And then what well, do the we thing. do? You ban away fans. You ban away fans, right? Uh, because of the violence in and around the stadiums. And there's a lot of innocent people that end up getting uh, injured or hurt. They light off some of these like, they throw these like uh, M1000 fireworks at each other there that like mm. kind of explode and actually have uh, real danger, like weapon level danger. Uh, and you ban those, but then you don't create a safe environment for the away fans inside of a stadium because the home fans are not uh, doing things a certain way. And so it's just, it's a really difficult uh, thing to choose until you're going to start teams that start getting hit financially, teams that start getting bans or points docked for certain things. That's when we start to th- see people uh shape up and otherwise you allow sort of the rambunctious bunch uh and a few bad apples to ruin the experience for a lot of people and this is sort of the polarization of the world now as you look at and you go well you know leon fans must be must be bad people uh because look at what's happening but it's really just in minority and the same thing that we have some of the chants in north america you just have bits and pieces of people that are potentially ruining or are ruining an experience for for fans right not just the danger and safety of the players on the field but if you're a, um, a kid that gets the chance to go to a game like that and, and, and you, that's what you experience and that's what you see, I mean, I have a feeling that would start to ruin your love for the sport itself. And I just think that's something that, that needs to be sort of taken under control and have harsher punishment, punishments than, you know, canceling or delaying a game and things like that. You just need to start to make it financial. And I know they've done financial stuff before, but then make it more financial and then make it even bigger in terms of point deductions to where the fans are going to have to decide or the stadiums or clubs are going to have to decide we're going to either have fans or we're not. If fans aren't going to shape up, then, you know, let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, keep them out. Yep, absolutely. Well said. But this obviously will not go away. But throw in your comments, of course, and questions, and we will try to get to it either in this episode or the next. Let's move on and let's talk about Serie A, which is super exciting. 29 goals in eight matches this weekend. By the way, Serie A, uh, exclusively on Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. Uh, Inter Milan with a 3-2 win against Napoli. Napoli's uh, defeat of the season, by the way. Dries Mertens uh, squanders a golden opportunity in that one. And Inter Milan, in injury time, and Inter Milan take full advantage. And by the way, I would imagine that in some way, you know, AC Milan is probably thankful as well because now this race becomes a little tighter, but amazing. Um, as we speak, I believe uh, Roma, unless it's over, Des Norris, uh, 18-year-old sub uh, Felix Afenagian reigns on Shevchenko's debut, and so does the rain. Apparently, it was a pretty wet game. Yeah, that's a two-nothing win for Mourinho's Roma against Shevchenko's Genoa. Juventus beat Lazio Fiorentina, put four past AC Milan. Uh, quite an entertaining weekend. What a big win, by the way. Uh, going back to the beginning there, Heath Pierce has Inter Milan beat Napoli. There are no more uh, undefeated teams in, in Syria. I don't, yeah. it's, it, it's over. Uh, it was a nice run for AC Milan. AC Milan was an example of one. By the way, Zlatan had uh, two goals in their loss to Fiorentina. He had one hit off the crossbar that turned into an own goal for them. He had one earlier on in the game called back for, for an offside that he absolutely buried. He is just a phenomenal 
phenomenal uh, specimen and player. But Fiorentina were just ruthless in this one. And this yeah, is the problem I, with Heath, I was going to say, I see your Slatan, but I raise you a Dusan Blahovic. I mean, this kid yeah. is the business. Our friend Fabrizio was mentioning how if Fiorentina ever were to sell him, it's a 70 million euro sell. And I'm telling you, that's a bar 21 years old. And he reminds me of another Fiorentina legend in Batistuta and the way that he finishes. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. this this guy by the way but yeah well yeah. carry on my friend there was a yeah. very big win for Fiorentina yeah huge win for Fiorentina they were ruthless in front of goal chances that they created AC Milan were so poor in defense and when I looked at that I started to think a little bit and we talked about this that AC Milan really needed to create a gap with Napoli at the top over over Inter Milan now that's a three-horse race and I think there's I, I would I can't remember the exact numbers but maybe five-point gap still there uh, yeah, Napoli on 32 second. points, Milan on 32 points as well. Inter Milan now 28, but Atalanta, who also got a very big win as well. They got 25, Roma 22, Lazio 21 after losing to Juventus, Fiorentina and uh, Juve as well, all on 21. So it's pretty tight. But that horse race that you were talking about, Napoli and Milan, even on 32 and Inter Milan on 28. Yeah, and, and, and AC Milan for much of that game had so many clear chances to capitalize yeah. and finish. Obviously, Fiorentina capitalized on a goalkeeping error. I'm not sure if it was the first or second goal. Goalkeeper drops it. It's a poke, and I think it was the first goal of the game. A real demoralizer for them, but continued to give up goals. Defensively, super poor. Um, but I don't want to take away uh, Fiorentina's performance. Obviously, they were again, they were ruthless. When they had chances, they brought them to a conclusion. They scored those goals. They were fantastic, phenomenal goals. Uh, but one where now when you're when you're AC Milan and you're looking at the table, it just gets a little bit tighter right now. And we saw them hit that dip in form again around this time last year where Inter started to to sort of round round the corner themselves. And I, I, I fear that it's got the makings of that all over again. But Napoli and, and Milan now uh, suffering their first losses of the season. It's just a big... A big swing of things, uh, so to speak, in Serie A. Yeah, Napoli, by the way, was the last undefeated team in Europe's top five leagues. So, you know, that's uh, that's a big one there. And as you mentioned, of course, the horse race gets tighter. Let's move on to La Liga. Xavi, off to a winning start there. I think we all predicted this in the preview. It was going to be a win. It wasn't going to be emphatic. Maybe a little dubious, including that penalty, of course. But, you know, three points are three points. And at this point, that's really all that matters for Barcelona. He had a very young team, two 17-year-olds in that first 11, by the way. You can clearly see that he wants to rely on philosophy and talent. And for him, age right now is absolutely secondary. But, you know, Xavi should be happy, HB, for at least getting those three points, even though if it was a dubious pen against Espanyol. Yeah, if you go back to all the history of Barcelona and when La Masia became something famous, right? That was the foundation that they built everything on. And then as the pressure grew, La Masia became different. They weren't generating the same talent. They weren't rising to the to the pressures and challenges. They were losing players to other academies after spending time in La Masia. Carlos, Carlos Puyol being one who was very outspoken about it not being the same. He was taking players to Man City's academy and other places like that. I think this is a really smart and strategic move to winning the fan, fans back at Barcelona to really set the precedent that, hey, this isn't about today. This isn't about tomorrow. This is about, one, accepting our financial situation. This is, two, going back to the foundation and groundwork of which this club was built, and that's around young players coming through part of this philosophy, part of this belief system. You know, we if I don't, I don't remember if you saw um, that that uh, Barcelona um, documentary where, where Thierry Henry talks about how he didn't understand the style of play there and that they talked about how a number of players coming from the outside in didn't understand – the roots of the club and what it meant and the style of play and everything that goes with that culturally. And I think Xavi going to young players, I think is a sign or an, or, or a waving uh, uh, of a sign that there's an intent to sort of reset that foundation. And I think it also, when you play young players, you have the excuse. This was my thing about, mm. about Komen is you have that excuse in your advantage, play the young players, talk about we're rebuilding, talk about this youth that are so incredible. We've got potential world-class talent, like, don't talk about the fact that you're missing your, your 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 older players aren't performing or you don't have money or debt. I thought that I just think from a media standpoint and winning the fans back, there's just such a strong narrative and story there to giving opportunities back to your academy players again, players that are coming up and win those fans back with that fight. Let those yeah. players Ajax do it. Man City does it. Man City yeah. did it today. Brought in some uh, Ajax literally lives of that. And to your point, Barcelona did exactly that as well. And by the way, Atletico Madrid also won, but with Sevilla tying, they tied Alaves and Real Sociedad in a stalemate as well against Valencia. Real Madrid took full advantage 
as they continued their good run under Carlo Ancelotti. 4-1 against Granada. Goals from Asensio, Nacho, Vinicius Jr., of course, and Mendy as well. So that means, Heath Pierce, Real Madrid are top of La Liga. Will that keep? Oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, Sevilla was certainly a, 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 a setback, uh, but I just don't see anybody. I, I don't see anybody in the current form that teams are in or what I can see from them being able to go punch for punch till the end of the season with Real Madrid. And maybe you feel Sevilla could do that. Maybe Atletico Madrid get into a run of form where they can go, you know, they're a team that could go 20 games unbeaten, just scrapping out. But we see they've been a little bit more leaky than they they usually are, giving up more chances and matches than they usually do. And so it's hard for me to imagine another team uh, it seems like one of those years that Real Madrid is like, well, since nobody else wants it, we'll go and take it. <laughs> right. and they're going to give up points along the way. They're they're an aging squad as well. We're seeing some of their young players also come to life this season. Uh, but I, it's it's hard for me to imagine looking at the teams, the form of the teams now, what that form could be without a number of signings within any of these clubs that anyone's going to be able to not just hold the hold on to what Real Madrid are doing because I do think they will, but to surpass that is is a pretty pretty tall order in, in a season like this. Yeah, and Real Madrid lead with 30 points, Real Sociedad 29, Sevilla 28, and Atletico Madrid 26. All four of those have only lost once. So it's very, very tight indeed. But Real Madrid take the top pole right there in La Liga. All right, well, listen, everybody. Uh, this is your last chance to ask us some questions because we're about to give you our final thoughts. A lot was going on, by the way, uh, specifically, you know, uh, with uh, Messi. You mentioned he scored... His first goal in League A as uh, PSG won 3-1 against Nantes. Another costly defeat for Jesse Marsh. Heath Pierce as uh, Hoffenheim beats Leipzig 2-0. The MLS playoffs, Philadelphia against uh, Red Bulls. A terrible game, but the goal was ridiculous. And Philadelphia yeah. go through there. Sporting KC, of course. 123rd minute. 120 plus three. Unbelievable. Is when Literally going, going to penalties. <laughs> It was it was three minutes of stoppage time of extra time, and yeah. he hit the banger to put them through, which is a pretty incredible incredible thing. And 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 this guy's becoming known. Uh, uh, Jacob Glesnes is becoming known for only scoring as a defender, only scoring bangers, and he hits that one in uh, clutch fashion. It's amazing. It, it was ridiculous. And NYCFC continue their good form, by the way, probably because of that great hype video from our friend Ian Poljoy, as oh, yeah. uh, they beat Atlanta United. Two nothing, and now they will meet New England Revolution. That's going to be a great, great game. It was a comedy goal for Tati Castellanos, uh, but it's been that kind of season for Tati Castellanos, just scoring in any way possible. Refs against MWA CFC, Heath Pierce. That's a big one. But any final thoughts? You can stay with MLS. We can go anywhere you want because we also have the Timbers, Minnesota. Um, on Monday, as well as uh, Nashville, Orlando, and Sounders against Real Salt Lake. But anything else that you want to mention? Final thoughts before we say goodbye? No, no, actually. Uh, <laughs> Who are you I, saying I, goodbye I to? A late checkout. Uh, I have a late checkout uh, today here. And in they the just told you you have to go? They just, no, they just came in to, to clean the room, which was amazing. I wish they would have come oh. in. You know, it's like classic. I was like, I could hear it. <laughs> if I had headphones on, though, I would have no idea what was going on right now. Um, but yeah, they There'll just be something out. in the background the whole time. Yeah. Now I'm a little bit flustered. You know, I'm like, oh, man, what's going on here? But um, no, look, I, I think I think, again, Jesse Marsh is an interesting one. When I when I looked at Jesse Marsh, I was like, man, is he back under the under the under the watchful eye of the club again? And I think they're and I don't know if uh, if you have the Bundesliga table in front of you, but they're in sixth place. So they've crept back up, and with a loss to uh, Bayern Munich, losing on Friday, uh, and then and then um, Dortmund winning over the weekend, they're now only one point apart at the top of the table. And, That's right. And after the sort of average or poor run of form with RB Leipzig, I think they've jumped up to top six, and they're just a few points out of being in that conversation again, uh, four or five points out of out of that sort of top four uh, or European positions in the Bundesliga, which is yep. really interesting. Table, no. Freiburg, yeah, Freiburg again, sort of and sort of what I think will will start to level out Wolfsburg as well in, in that conversation. But yeah, Leipzig on eighteen points in seventh place, and just I guess that would be three points out of fourth. So. Not 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 terrible for them. And then this week, Bayern or next week, Bayern take on Dortmund. And and after after a loss for Bayern, it just seems like the perfect time for for Bayern. And Marco Royce continues to be sort of ageless for Bayern uh, for Dortmund, scoring a goal again this weekend and and sort of carrying their teams through this tough time without Holland. And again, when you think about Holland, you think about a team 
Dortmund, a team that literally cannot win without him. They've now found a way to win and continue to get results despite him not being on the field. And actually even gives me this idea of like, man, it might be time to move him on because the team can still get results without him and he's worth a fortune. So why not just go for it at a certain point? But yeah, those are my closing thoughts. Always love to touch on the Bundesliga a little bit. And Bayern, I think that was Bayern's second loss of the season. Uh, that's now keeping that title race alive for Dortmund. Yep, they've lost twice, but they still lead by one point above Dortmund, as you mentioned. Uh, my only thing is make sure that you check out our sister podcast, Attacking Third, as, of course, the Washington Spirit win their first ever NWSL Championship title. Trinity Rodman, by the way, what a player. But all the comments, all the analysis oh that God, you want is on Attacking so Third. But Trinity Rodman, Heath Pierce, is quite the star, huh? Yeah, I mean, when you look at highlight reels, you always see them and you see the 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 jersey of the opponent changing when you build a reel but she literally built a highlight reel in the final of this <laughs> tournament just crushing people and the speed and pace and the skill that she has it was phenomenal and, and an unbelievable win for for uh for for the washington spirit yeah and attacking third has all the content that you need all right before we say goodbye check it out this nara show is that uh schedule that we have for the remain of the week fabrizio romano and his transfer notes this is about oligana social and so much more that's on monday heath pierce and jimmy conrad will return on the us mnt hour that's live at 4 15 eastern we have a great preview uh that we're uh coming out with as well not live uh, for the Champions League, match day five, and then our recap, of course, on Tuesday and Wednesday, and, of course, our weekend preview. That's coming out a little later on Friday, of course, due to Thanksgiving. I will not be here, but you're in good hands with Jimmy Heath, et cetera, and everybody else. And then, of course, uh, live weekend recap as well. So this is a busy week of action once again. Thank you so much for being part of the family. Heath Pierce, thank you so much, brother. No, thank you for having me. I'm glad uh, I got a chance to catch up with you. I'm glad uh, I'm. I'm. We're, you're wrapping this up before they actually pull me and drag me out of this chair out of the hotel or or. Your room is clean though, at least. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your his room is clean, but Heath Pierce, make sure that you get home safe. Uh, we got a busy week ahead of us, everybody. Follow Kegolasso on Twitter, Kegolasso Pod. Subscribe to Kegolasso wherever you listen to your pods, and of course, leave us a glowing review if you can. YouTube.com forward slash que golazo cbs sports and your cbs sports app have a great rest of your evening and we will see you very very soon see you next time you can now relive the best moments of the uefa champions league 24 7 the uefa champions league channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.